inspire of extraordinary quality as if arising from some external creative impulse. Where did the Bible's inspiration come from? Are there different scriptures that speak to different people? Is it wrong to have an entirely different interpretation of the Word of God? This week, we're talking about what it means when we say the Bible is inspired. We ask if the Bible can be open to other interpretations. We discuss a few of the controversies in Scripture and how to understand personal conviction. There are many influences that all took place to create the book we view as God's Word. But does that make the Bible perfect or flawed? All this and more this week on The Reckless Pursuit. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the consequences. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And we are your hosts. This is episode 61, and today we are talking about Is the Bible Inspired? Happy day after Easter, for one. And we figured, hey, let's talk about scripture the day after Easter and see what kind of uh, hornet's nest we can stir up talking about the inspiration of the Bible. Is it infallible? Uh, Is it to be taken literally in every situation? Why do churches cherry pick scriptures to follow? Yeah, we're talking about a lot of fun yet controversial stuff today. And I really want to just kind of leave this episode more open-ended. Elaine and I have our own beliefs. They probably even differ a little bit between she and I. But we want to just give you resources to look at, things to think about, to figure out how to find God and in your walk with him versus just what everyone tells you. This isn't a Bible bashing episode. We are quite um, fond of the Bible, We quite enjoy the Bible, and it is our go-to resource in life. But we can't ignore some of the bold claims, whether they're true or not, and some of the obvious uh, contradictions, despite the fact that most people can talk their way out of them. And so we're just going to hit those topics today, so just uh, sit back and enjoy it. Don't let it be something that stirs you up, but just uh, allow it to kind of settle in and give you something to think about because that's what I know I personally have a passion for is just giving people something to think about. Uh, And this isn't necessarily something that you have to take everything we say verbatim by any means. This is just a conversation. But before we get into today's topic on Is the Bible Inspired, a few quick announcements. Next week, we are talking about denominationalism. The reason I'm going ahead and mentioning that now is because a little bit of what we're talking about today will overlap with that conversation. So we're not going to leave you hanging. That comes next week. And we have really big plans for the month of May. Elaine, why don't you share a little bit about that? So we are excited to share that we are actually going to be doing a series in May over the Enneagram. Cody and I just read 
The Road Back to You by Ian Crone. And it just completely changed our perspective on ourselves, even our relationship, how we view other people, the the nine different personality types. It just basically read our mail and kind of we read other people's mail as well. And so we just really wanted to share what the Enneagram is and how those personalities actually represent different sides of who Christ is. And so we want that series to be a call-in series where we want to ask you, like, what number represents you and how understanding the Enneagram has helped you understand who God is and His love for you, how it has helped you understand the people around you, and also how to love yourself and understand who you are and, and how God sees you. Yeah, I think it's uh, a great thing. I mean, I've heard so much hype about the Enneagram, and honestly, I didn't think it would be much for me because of just how much, I mean, once things get kind of mainstream and popular, I kind of shy away from them. We're hipsters at heart. Yeah. So uh, I was kind of reluctantly, um, I guess, I reluctantly willing to do this. But once I read it, yeah, I was skeptic of it. And once I. Once I got into it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is seriously... I honestly feel like I tapped into something like... Yeah, I, spiritual. Yeah. Like it, This was like, oh man, like God just revealed something to me through this study. And I know it has roots in Christianity as well. And so I was just like, wow, this is, this is serious. And I think it does an amazing job of fulfilling Jesus's primary two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. And, you know, we're kind of basing this whole thing around the idea of you cannot truly love your neighbor if you don't take the time to understand them. So it's going to be a great series to help us understand each other just on a deeper, deeper level. Now, bear with us. We got one more announcement, and then we'll get right into this. I'm working on a new podcast. It's a solo podcast. Elaine's not in on this one. She has her own podcast coming down the pipeline, but it's a little further off than mine. And it's called Itinerant, Biblical History Beyond the Bible. If you enjoy podcasts like Myths and Legends, Lore, and other historical fun podcasts that have maybe just a little bit of a uh, darker, shadowier root, then this podcast is going to be for you. We're going to be exploring the alternate sides of Christian stories and the people that influenced faith. We're going to be talking about other religions' views on them and trying to get a broader understanding of who these people are on a global level. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of research, um, very informative, but also very entertaining, and I hope you will be joining me along the journey. We'll be posting details about that with this uh, for this upcoming month as I get prepared to launch it, and we will be sure to let you know ahead of time where you can find it and how you can be a part of the launch day celebration. So with all that, we're going to open this episode up with a quick excerpt from a project, uh, a spoken word project I wrote and Elaine helped me produce called Is the Bible Inspired? Here it is. Is the Bible inspired? 
By what desire do we purpose and admire the very idea that God would write us words in which to live by, to die by, to strive by, and alive? I'm left to wonder how so many of the ones who call out his name can fail to understand the true purpose of the phrase that we wave like a banner of shame. Shame on all those who understand things a little differently. They see the black and white as a murky shade of gray. Oh, and by the way, The way the light filters through my eyes and your eyes is not always the same. Just as what I call blue and all that you see might not be the same. But what is blue but just a brighter shade of gray? Is the Bible inspired? That's the topic we're talking about today. And this episode, like we mentioned in the intro, is going to be more or less, um, it'll be some factual points, it'll be some philosophical points, but it's going to be Elaine and I asking each other questions and and just having a general conversation around this topic. It's a big topic, and it's on a lot of people's minds. There's a lot of questions involving the accuracy of the Bible, and so we're just going to converse. And by no means are we saying, take what we say verbatim. We are not God. We're just having a conversation about his word. And if you enjoyed that little excerpt of that audio clip, we will post the links to the YouTube video below as well as links to iTunes and Spotify where you can go and listen for free and stream it online. I'd appreciate it. Every listen makes me like a penny or something like that. So, hey. Every penny counts. So, Elaine, open us up. This was your topic, and I'll let you get right to it. Okay, so this kind of was based on a conversation that Cody and I were having this past week. I honestly don't even know how we got into this conversation, but we were talking about, is the Bible inspired? Is it, should we follow it verbatim? Is there, you know, there's so many different authors of the Bible that make up the entire Bible. And so we were kind of just discussing just our opinions, how we felt kind of asking each other like how we should think about this and so I we just wanted to have a conversation on here and maybe even ask you guys what you think is the Bible inspired so I think personally that asking is the Bible inspired it's a it's a loaded question because I know in my heart to me the Bible is in fact inspired by God But I take that very literally whenever I say inspired. I don't necessarily think that every single word was dictated by God as if he was telling his secretary to take him a note. I think that you can definitely see personalities ringing through in every single book. And I do think when we say, like, is the Bible inspired? We're referencing the Bible verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, Another version says all scripture is God-breathed. The word inspired used in this scripture. It's not used very often. I think this may actually be the only instance in the New Testament that that word is used in this context, and it literally means breathed out of God, as in the scripture is exhaled. And the way I kind of imagine this is is almost like, and this is kind of a weird analogy, but follow with me. You know when you're sick 
and you put like a vaporizer on in the room and like you put like Vicks vapor rub in it or whatever or essential oils I'm sorry I'm, I forgot we're new age now essential oils go into your little va- vaporizer to help open up your sinuses <laughs> and drain you of all the goop I kind of imagine scripture is similar to that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're sucking up an actual orange but you're getting the essence of the of it you know you're not eating an actual lavender plant but you're getting its essence in through you're breathing it in as it's being breathed out and i think that the bible is that it is the essence of god captured in scripture as he breathed it out just as he breathed the breath of life into man from the beginning but also we were creatures created to create in god's image and so henceforth we're also going to put just as you and i are doing right now we're putting our words and our spin on his message because that's the uniqueness of personality for me i believe that the bible is a great guidebook uh and a great outline for how we should or shouldn't live our lives you know the two greatest commandments love god and love others i wholeheartedly believe in that i think that's a great outlook just to have on life And I also know that Jesus spoke in parables. He spoke in stories to explain different things that he was teaching. And so, in essence, I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that the Bible is inspired. It is God-breathed. But I also believe that it was written by man, man or woman. I don't know if women were involved in that, but it was written by different authors. So, you're going to have different personalities writing the Bible. And so I feel like how maybe even certain interpretations, how certain people interpret things differently in the Bible, because the Bible spoke to them in a specific way. I I believe that even though the Bible is honest and true, I also believe that it can be open up for suggestion and conversation. Well, that actually opens up to Christian mysticism and authors like C.S. Lewis who talk about, or I guess in Richard Rohr as well, who talk about things like um, the Bible is meant to be interpreted and can speak to us individually. And I know Christian mysticism is a spooky term. I've heard plenty of people dog on it. But at the same time, it has a lot of roots, or I guess Pentecostalism has a lot of roots in that and the fact of like the Holy Spirit can minister to us specifically. And people can get wonky with that, and they can start using it to just butcher and completely go against the Bible and like, God told me it was okay to do this. I'm like, well, it says like 30 times you probably shouldn't. It doesn't really line up with the whole love God, love your neighbor, you know. Like, sure, it says that scripture is God breathed and used for reproof, but that doesn't mean to bludgeon someone to death, you know. that I've heard an argument numerous times lately that God operates in shame. And I'm just like, screw you, man. <laughs> like God doesn't operate in shame. If you're sitting here thinking that God operates in shame, then uh, I just, I want to, for one, let me back up for a second. I'm saying that because they were being hostile toward me for saying God doesn't operate. I think God will give you, um, what's the word? Conviction. Yes, conviction. But he does not operate in guilt and shame. That is against grace that violates literally his promise of grace to us 
because shame is a tactic of the enemy to make you belittle yourself, ultimately belittling the very creation, the body, the breath of God, the thing Satan desires the most. So, Well, yeah, God's not going to make you feel bad, ne- not necessarily make you feel bad for making a wrong decision, but there will be that spiritual conviction of, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Right. There's a line there, the tug of, you know, like there's the the initial, wow, I know better than that. Like, mm, that doesn't set right with me versus I am just this terrible person. Filthy I am rag. so, yeah, I am shameful of my actions. Adam and Eve were ashamed. When they went and hid and like covered themselves, they had shame because sin had entered them. But we don't operate in that same principle anymore. We have grace. I'm digressing like crazy here. That's, that's all a- about conversation. Okay. All about interpretation. Right. Suggestion. Okay. So, Elaine, let me just ask you this. Can the Bible be open to suggestion or alternate interpretation? I think so. There have definitely been times where I've read certain scriptures that I'm like, okay, yeah, I know what this means. I know what this means. And then at some point in my life, whatever I'm going through, I read that same scripture and I'm like, I have a completely different perspective on this. And it really resonates with me. And that may, I I don't know if that's taking scripture out of context. I don't know if that means that I'm wrong for thinking about a certain scripture, but if it speaks to me and I feel God's presence in that, I feel like maybe it could be open up to suggestion and maybe even having open conversation about like why that speaks to me in that specific way. And I feel like everyone has had, Christians especially, but everyone has had a time where they read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. They were told all through church, all their lives, and then they read it for themselves. And, you know, God revealed something to them, something different, something that maybe even the context of the Bible wasn't even talking about but whatever they were going through, however God was guiding them, he spoke to them in a different way in that perspective. And it really made that scripture open up to them and liven up to them to where they were like, oh, that's what that means. Or at least that's what mean what it means for me. And so I feel like it can't it should be open up for suggestion because I feel like if God anointed so many different writers and so many different personalities to write it, we're all gonna have different suggestions of what the Bible means. Well, I think that ties back into last week's episode, which I actually believe is why we were having this conversation this week, if I remember right. We were talking about just like the misuse of some scriptures and and how they can actually lead to negative mindsets. I think we were talking about Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to, you know, prosper you, although that whole little Bible verse there and how that can lead people to having a negative mindset in bad times saying, well, is this God's plan for me? Did he plan for these things to happen? And I don't think there's anything wrong with taking that verse and saying like, wow, God has a plan for me. If you're the type of person that receives from thinking, like from believing that there is an ultimate hierarchy structure that is planning every event in your life and that ministers to you, I don't think that God is not able to work in that, and I don't think it's like abusing that scripture to the point of rendering it outside of context. I think that it can have those connotations, despite the fact of its original intent being for Israel as a whole. I don't think it's wrong to use that as a comforting scripture uh, or a mantra or to remind you, because ultimately, yes, God does desire to prosper you, and he does have a purpose to do good things through you and with you and and to walk alongside you. But 
at the same time, like, I don't know, to me and to a lot of people, that verse has been used as a weapon and it doesn't sit as well with us. And that's okay too. And so I think that uh, that goes to personal conviction. And I know that's not something that we've talked a whole lot about on the show, but there is such thing as personal conviction. There are things that God says, these are okay and these are not. But then there are other things that are very much open to our own interpretation, how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. I feel like if there wasn't a need for different interpretations or open up to conversation and suggestion, there wouldn't be a need for church. There wouldn't be a need for home groups. God wouldn't allow us or other people to have podcasts like this or have different outlets on social media to talk about how that scripture spoke to them and what they got out of that scripture. If it was, this is what this scripture means and there's no conversation about it. You need to follow it the way this is. And I feel like, that goes against what God's ultimate thing is for, you know, free will and to love people. If he's like, you know, follow this exactly how this is. There's no room for error. There's no room for suggestion. I feel like that's taking away our free will of thinking for ourselves. Yeah. And I think that the Bible is intentionally vast and intentionally uh, big and open and wide for a very important reason. I mean, I think that there are themes throughout the Bible that we are supposed to grab onto, but it's a narrative story. If you look at it, it's, I mean, it's really, it's, it's like a, an hourglass shape creation grows and it is vast. And and then it funnels down into the point of repentance, which is, you know, literally what we're the death of Christ and his resurrection. What we just got through celebrating, uh, you know, yesterday, Easter Sunday. And then it opens back up, you know, to reconciliation. It is the creation, the redemption, and the reconciliation of creation. And it's it's a beautiful narrative. And when we zoom out and we get out of all of the little details, we can see these overarching themes that help us to follow uh, God's ultimate intent for us. And I think that we can get, you know, they say the devil is in the details. And I think that that's an interesting an interesting perspective in the sense of it's beautiful to study scripture. I personally enjoy studying the Bible. I enjoy studying all the different ins and outs and different interpretations, but we can get bogged down to the point of it shadowing over our ultimate view of Christ. And so many times we get caught up in those details so much that we begin to weaponize scripture. And instead of looking at the world through the lens of Christ, which is love, we begin to look at the world through the lens of the law, which is what Christ came to fulfill and to abolish the old covenant. And we can basically take the new covenant and apply it to this old uh, old covenant dogmatic principle to the point of us you know, just clouding up our view of God's narrative of humanity. And I think it it definitely can shroud the overarching purpose God has for humanity and his desire for relationship and reconciliation. Those lines we drew were ours and ours alone to hold us back from the throne of true morality, bound by our own mortality, depraved of our vitality and the overarching plan we turned away from. We worship the sum of our biases based on a fear we mistake as love. See, there's beauty in what we're made of. But I find it interesting that so many denominations 
can form, which, you know, is an interesting topic that we're going to talk about next week. That's why we mentioned in the beginning, just so we we weren't leaving you hanging because we're kind of at that point of the conversation here now, I think. But, you know, we kind of pick and choose stuff a lot of times. So, Cody, I have a question for you. If we're supposed to believe the Bible is real and follow everything in it, then why are there entire segregations based on specific scriptures that are cherry-picked? Oh, man. Um, I think that there are different types of people. This goes into what we're talking about in May with the Enneagram even. There are different types of people that, you know, when I read Romans 8.28 versus someone else, and if you don't know the scripture, I'll just go ahead and say, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. When someone else may read that, they, they may read it as, oh, well, no matter what God does in your life, whether that be tragedy or blessing, he is doing it for the betterment of his people. And I read that scripture, and I actually had a conversation with someone on Reddit about this, and this is what makes it stand out to me like right this moment. But when I read that, I read it as, wow, like even though good and bad happen uh, according to the acts of free will of man, God works together in those things with us because of our love for him and his love for us, and because we're called according to his purpose. Like, he's working with us through those things, you know, in the in the, the, the grime of it as well. And honestly, either way you want to read it, it's not necessarily a one's right, one's wrong. You know, it's what ministers to you to help you understand the fullness of God. And so it, that goes back to what I was mentioning just a minute ago of personal conviction. Some people have terrible issue with speaking in tongues. Other people see it as the true sign of Christ. You know, I've kind of come to believe this. If you don't know how to pray anything else in your life but just to babble incoherently, I'm not going to sit here and judge and say that is or isn't from Christ because even if it's your made-up blubbering or it's inspired words of God, God knows your heart beyond that. And so what does that have to do with this? There are so many things throughout the Bible that I can read it one way, Elaine can read it the next way, and then tomorrow when I'm in a bad mood, I'm going to read it a completely different way. And that's just the, the beauty of a multifaceted God shining through I mean, going to the whole thing of revelation of creatures made entirely of eyes, circling the throne, constantly beholding something new about God and falling down and worshiping him. There's always a new aspect of God for us to understand. And the Bible being a breathed word, as I said, the essence of God uh, summed up in man's writing, summed up to the best way we knew how to try to attempt to capture such a vast creator as God, I think that, of course, those writings are going to be, while somewhat duller in the brilliance of of it as compared to God himself, you know, it's going to capture so many different aspects of him within even one or two scriptures. Now, the issue and like I said, we're talking about denominationalism next week, but there is a, an interesting thing where people can make up arguments to push their agenda. 
this happens in society as a whole. You can see it in politics. You can see it in religion. But people will make up, I don't know, people will, will bend the truth or will view things through their lens to push their agenda. Sometimes they add to it or take it away, take away from it as well. Yes, and, and, and then other times, honestly, it can just be open for interpretation. We haven't talked about this yet, but I know you and I have debated how we will have the conversation of homosexuality because there are three very distinct points to that. You know, there's type A, type B, and I believe they actually call it type X. I was calling it A, B, and C perspectives, but I believe it's A, B, and X perspectives. And we're going to do a series on that and talk about those things. But, you know, the Bible isn't as clear as we make it out to be on homosexuality. We have used words in place of other words to make it sound that way. But there are alternate views, and they have arguments as well. And while you may not agree with them, they see it that way. And who are, you know, who are we to go against what someone else says God is telling them. And that's kind of the issue of drawing uh, finite lines in the sand saying God said this, because once you play the God card, there is no, there's no argument at that point. There's no way to say, I feel like God is saying this, because if you say God says this, uh, it's hard to go back against that. And honestly, we don't know half of what God says. If you start diving into um, meanings and scenarios and, the actual uh, circumstantial basis of different scriptures, we realize we have uh, butchered the crap out of the context of most of scripture along the way. When I know sometimes like in scripture, you know, it, it talks about how God is warning people against their sins and stuff, but a lot of times he's talking to the Christians and not the people who aren't following him. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and you can even start looking at things like either Genesis or Revelation. It's interesting, kind of like both ends of the Bible parallel each other. Uh, you know, that whole creation, uh, reconciliation bit I was just saying. But a lot of people don't believe in a literal Revelation or a literal Genesis. And um, there's arguments for both of those. Um, I don't know where you fall on this, Elaine, but... You know, I, I'm not a, a seven-day creationist. I'm not. I don't have anything against those people who do believe that, but I'm, I just don't believe in well, seven-day creation. Well, yeah, because there's a verse that's like a day to us, like a thousand days or years to oh, God. Yeah, and there's, I mean, God exists outside of time and space. So like, and then It could have been seven days, but that could have meant seven million years. Yeah, like, or it could just be a beautiful analogy. And, and I'm actually going to get into that here in just a minute, um, some of that and how the Bible is influenced by outside sources as well. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I think it's interesting going back to your, your bit about asking like cherry-picked verses. There's a lot in Timothy, which is also about to come up to question here in just a moment when we get into the, the meat of this a little bit, which we're probably going to have to try to try to put the pedal on some of this because um, I know I don't want to run this thing too long, but I'm just passionate about this topic in general. but We'll probably come back to this. I'm sure we will. But, you know, a lot of churches are completely okay with women pastors. And, uh, you know, they're okay with elders and deacons who are divorced or who have family issues. And then there's the whole argument of free will and predestination. And then all of this kind of comes into context of these things are kind of mentioned in the Bible, but people have loopholes to them or they view things differently. 
And that's where divisions in the church comes to. And that's why I think ultimately everything in the Bible is, is filterable through the way God is speaking to you minus the commands he gives us. And that is you can filter those even through love God and love people. Now, I just want to put this out there. I know we've talked a lot about interpretations and um, different cherry-picking scriptures and stuff, and I know we're going to probably hit on this next week with the denominations and even next in, in May for our series of Enneagram. There's not—it's it, not bad to have different personalities. It's not bad to have varying perspectives of scripture. It's not bad for certain things to jump out of you because that's how God speaks to you. But what we are saying is when you start drawing lines and thinking that you are better or that you are the only one that can get to heaven or whatever, you know, that's when it becomes unhealthy. That's when it becomes negative. And that's when you're literally taking things out of context. And like, it's better to work as a whole and it's okay to be different, but it's not okay to proclaim that you're better or, you know, more lovable because you're different. Right. So I want to kind of go into this now and just talking about does the Bible contradict itself? We were having this conversation with a friend of ours uh, earlier this week, actually. And I have a few topics that I want to hit on this or a few verses that I think are interesting. But Elaine, do you care to share anything before we get into that? Well, I know that a lot of times stuff that happens in Scripture, especially Old Testament versus New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of laws and regulations. There's weird things that you're like, how the crowd would God allow that? And then you have New Testament where Jesus basically, I wouldn't say like completely disregards and banishes the whole Old Testament, but there's a lot of contradictions where like Jesus is like, no, well, love and people why, and that's it. That's like, why Jesus said, you know, he came to fulfill the law. Yeah. Not abolish, but to fulfill it. Like he filled in the void in the gaps that like so many, um, so many wrong things <laughs> were throughout the Old Testament. And so like there's obviously some major contradictions, but at the same time, I, I, I think that there's a good balance to have both. Well, and I think sometimes contradictions are necessary to show you alternate views yeah. of how to follow Christ. And that just goes back to perspective and unique personality. Let's just talk about a few of these. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of works. James 2, 24. You see that how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Which one is it, Bible? Is it faith? Is it works? James says you got to have faith and works. Uh, Ephesians says you got to have faith only. It's not by works. Which one is it? Well, I think if you're a person that struggles with faith, then trying to pursue faith is probably something that would minister to you. I think if you are a person that doesn't have an issue with faith, but is afraid or ashamed of showing the, the, the love of Christ, then works is probably something that ministers to you. And it really is intended to speak to you on your level. What about should you private uh, privatize your relationship with God or let it be public? Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before men so they, they may see your good deeds or good works and praise your Father in heaven. Matthew 23, uh, the early parts of Matthew 23, rebuke people for openly showing their works as the Pharisees did. What about the idea of God changing? Does God change his mind or is he steadfast. Exodus 32, 14. 
says this, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Verses Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord and I change not. Okay, God, which one is it? You change not, but you're going to change your mind up in there. Obviously, he changes because if this is God-breathed, he changed his perspective. Oh, man. On himself. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting. It even says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. But... It says in Exodus 32 that the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do. Listen to that. Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. These are two books apart. Exodus and Numbers, right? Exodus 23. God is not a man that he should uh, that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. God shouldn't repent. But in Exodus... 32, 14, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. What Mind blown, <laughs> honestly. So which one is it? Well, which, which do you... interpretation do you which pick? Yeah, which do you identify better with? <laughs> do you better identify with a God who does not change and is steadfast? Are you needing something steadfast in your life? God can be that for you. Do you need a God that understands your emotions and your struggles? God can be that for you. It's just a he, different he can, view. God can be a four for you if you need that. Yeah, or he can... Oh, don't get into Enneagram <laughs> stuff yet. You're going to confuse people. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's, that's what spoke to me. P.S. I'm a four. Yeah, okay. So, uh, and here's another one. I didn't write this down initially, but it did make me think about this. Timothy talks about how women are not allowed to be in leadership of a church. Yet, who was the first people to go and proclaim the risen Savior? Talking our theme of Easter here. Was it not Mary and Mary? Was it not the women? <laughs> did God not initially send women to go and tell the disciples that he was indeed risen? Because he is risen... You're supposed to say he is risen indeed. Come on, Elaine. He is risen indeed. Thank you. Gosh. You're welcome. You've got to go back to Sunday school or something. Get some learnings in you. I will say, though, that I was actually reading something interesting in a Facebook group that we're a part of for egalitarian viewpoints. And someone was saying how that there's a specific scripture about Easter, about how whenever he rose again, that it was Mary, you know, it was the women who were like proclaiming the good news. And someone was, and they were talking about how this verse actually gives them empowerment of knowing that God views women, you know, as a great thing that they can show his love. But then someone was saying how that it could also be you, or they, they've been to churches where it used it the opposite way of like, if a man isn't saved, a woman could help him understand who God was. But as soon as he knew who God was, she could no longer minister to him. Which is just BS. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, that, BS, that's but. what they were saying. It was like, you know, t speaking on church or on Easter, that's what she was saying, how she had been in churches where it was like the complete opposite. And I was just like, what? Yeah. So, oh, man. Well, OK, let's just keep moving here. Are there any outside influences on the Bible? Well, yes. Um, let's just talk about a couple of these here for a second. Elaine, you want to talk about this? Or you want me to go for it? You can go for it. Okay. I'll chime in. Cool. So Zoroastrianism. Uh, I'm. It's one of my more interesting reads. I enjoy reading about Zoroastrianism. 
it predates Christianity, uh, Islam, and Judaism. It is before, if I remember, it is yes, it is before the Abrahamic covenant. Which, if you, if I just lost you there, that is the covenant God made with Abraham. Zoroastrianism was the initial religion to talk about angels and demons. Most other religions have ties into that, whether it be Gnosticism, Judaism, uh, etc., etc. And the Bible has a lot of interesting pulls from Zoroastrianism. For instance, Eden, the idea of one man, one woman, and the initial sin was originally talked about in Zoroastrianism before it was ever talked about in the Bible. Uh, you know, we look at Genesis, and a lot of times I don't think we realize that these are tales. Most of the beginning of Genesis um, through Noah and all of this are tales that are passed down. These were verbal things written down much to the same way we would pass on stories to our children of our great ancestors and, and funny things or interesting things or bold things that they had done in history. These weren't written accounts, or if they were, they were very scattered and broken. And there are other accounts of these throughout history as well. You look at Noah, which is something I've been studying a lot on because it's one of the first um, people we'll be talking about in Itinerant, the podcast I mentioned that I'm starting earlier. Noah really kind of came into the picture a little bit later and was written in the Bible, or at least in, uh, what is the Pentateuch? Is that the first five books of the Bible? Was written later on, and it pulls a lot from the Mesopotamian story of the Epic of Gilgamesh. And honestly, the stories match up kind of verbatim for the most part, even down to the point of where Noah settled in later on, and it matches the Dead Sea Scrolls in the uh, the Genesis Apocrypha, where it tells the accounts of Noah after the flood. Well, and I also can attest to this because my sophomore year of college, I took a mythology class, which I'm very appreciative. It wasn't just Greek mythology. It was like all kinds of mythologies. And I know we talked a little bit about Christianity and we were talking about the parallels of of a lot of different stories, Noah's Ark, um, Adam and Eve. There, there have been all kinds. I feel like every country or subculture has ha has its own version of this and i honestly remember reading about specifically noah's ark like a lot of different stories sticking out to me about you know very similar stories yeah and so uh you know even down to like the canaanites whenever you read about uh israel coming out of the desert out of egypt and the egyptian exile the parting of the Red Sea, wandering in the desert for 40 years because they were too stubborn to trust God. Then going into the promised land, you see the promised land is inhabited by Canaanites. And Israel is to go and massacre them and take the holy land that is God's promised land to them for themselves. Well, there's a lot of Canaanite influences. And, you know, it's hard for cultures to die off. And if you are a culture that literally takes another culture by blunt force, uh, <laughs> there's a good chance some of their their beliefs are going to kind of pour over a little bit. And there's a lot of the Psalms that are direct hymns uh, taken from Canaanite uh, scripture. Then there's the whole thing about the letters of Paul, the Pauline epistles. And seven of them are undisputed, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1st Thessalonians, and Philemon, or Philemon, or Philemon, however you want to say it, I say it Philemon. 
And then there's the other six, which are widely disputed among biblical scholars. I'm not saying atheists. I'm not saying um, people outside of the church. I'm talking biblical scholars actively do not know if these are actually written by Paul. And the overarching, or excuse me, the the general consensus or the majority consensus from what I can see is most believe they're not. They're written by an imposter claiming to be Paul, and that's Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Colossians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. The reason that we kind of believe these weren't actually written by Paul is because they have a complete different writing style. The times and the traveling, uh, the I guess the direction of travel for Paul would not match. Uh, the words that are used in this book are words that weren't even invented yet during Paul's lifetime. There's an advanced hierarchy of the church and an advanced system. When Paul was traveling and teaching, most of the churches were small groups. And most of these books almost kind of come across more as uh, forged as Paul's signature. So Paul or at least um, the Christian church would adopt these concepts. And if that's so, there's a lot there that that is taken, um, and from what I remember reading, a lot of these are taken, take a lot of the concepts that are meant more spiritually and apply them literally. And there's some weirdness in that too, and it kind of creates conflict. But there's just a whole difference in style on those six books versus the other seven in the Pauline epistles. Am I sitting here saying Paul did not write them and you should throw them out? Absolutely not. I'm not saying we should throw any of it out. And that kind of leads me to this last thing. Where are we to stand as Christians here, looking at all the different things. And I think that just goes back to what we've been saying, that everything points to Jesus. You know, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Going back to what the Word is, it's God-breathed, it's the breath of life. What is the Word? If the Word is God-breathed, and Jesus is the Word, and in the beginning, man was created with the breath of life breathed out of God's lungs into man, then that means Jesus is the breath of God. That means that he is the divine inspiration. And I think that the Bible is a great place to find answers to life's problems. I think it is an it is a great authority to show us how to love others and to love people. And I think that it has something for every different type of person. And I'll also like to add that the Bible is a great outline. It's a great guidebook, but you shouldn't stop there. You shouldn't stop researching. You shouldn't stop praying and asking God to reveal what these scriptures mean to you. You shouldn't not have conversation. You, I, I feel like it's impossible to read the Bible once and then be like, I know everything about it. I don't need to talk about this. I don't need to know an alternate perspective of this it is a great guidebook that I, I believe that it is God's word but I do also think that it's so important to have open conversation about it it is important to seek God's guidance in prayer and that he would show you if there's any part of the Bible that you don't understand it is so important to ask God to reveal that scripture to you in a way that you'll understand it Right. And with that being said, also remember that it's a great place to start and it's also a great place to end. So there's a lot in the middle, but it's a circle. It starts there and comes back to there, but God's not going to contradict what he's already put out there. I'm, we are not saying throw the Bible out. That would be a terrible, terrible idea. 
what we are saying is that the Bible is very clear in the very middle of it there, I guess technically not the middle, but right there where Jesus says, love God, love people, and everything else will follow suit. Allow your your interpretation, so long as it co-labors and uh, and aligns with God's God's purpose to give you that comfort and that peace and to understand it. The Bible is a beautiful thing. It's written by people that breathed in the essence of Christ and did their best to capture his all-inspiring beauty. Just as a painter would paint an image to try to capture the original essence, that is what the, the writers of the Bible were doing. And of course there's things they've missed. There's no way to sum up an all-knowing, all-encompassing creator in 66 books compiled into one text. But it can do such a great thing job of capturing his essence and showing us how to live. So I know that we just addressed a whole lot of topics and many topics and introduced topics that we're going to be talking over the next couple weeks. And I feel like we need to just kind of decompress for a second. I know we talked about a lot of different scriptures and it was a, a lot of information and it was a conversation that we had about a lot of different things. But the question that we want to ask you for this week, the question that we want you to ponder over is how does the Bible inspire you? How does God speak to you through scripture? How do you understand it? How does it inspire you in the way you love and see other people? So is the Bible inspired? Of course the hand of man penned the words, but it was out of raw desire. Just as it takes a mountain in the foreground to paint the image of a mountain in the background, what mountain were these writers looking to when they fashioned this portrait? A spiritual endowment of grace combed together in the best way humanity could conspire to express compassion, acceptance, and love. So admire the work of their hands. After all, that was their plan and trust the real question is not is the bible inspired but rather how does it inspire us and how do we choose to use it out of anger or out of love keep an open eye and an open ear for all of the things coming down the pipeline our enneagram episodes coming up in may next week's episode on denominationalism and of course that new podcast itinerant that's going to be coming to you here in about a month guys we appreciate you so much for being a part of this conversation and taking the time to to sit with us and talk if you want to have a voice in this we want to hear from you we have a facebook group dedicated to just that the reckless community and the link to that is in the show notes below we would love to have you part go click and ask to join and we'll be sure to add you if you enjoyed this episode or know someone that would find this interesting we ask that you share it on with a friend that's the best way to keep this conversation going and if this show is something that you have been a part of for a minute and you wouldn't mind doing so Go down there and give us an honest rating and an honest review. That helps us to know what we're doing right and how to better serve you moving forward. And as always, be brave, be bold, 
and be reckless. We'll talk soon.